Hey, Daddy. Hey, Takashi. Nice cave. Nice what? Nice cave. It, it's oh. so dark in there. It should be brighter here. There you go. How are you doing? How are you doing? I'm good. I, I am good. I'm doing all right. Uh, had a little headache earlier, but I ended up uh, yeah getting some Tylenol at the Walmart on the way home. Good. I kind of had a headache today too, but has it has since passed. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I remember I had a coworker that mentioned like painkillers as teacher candy. So. One, it's one of the candies. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if it's like a common occurrence, unfortunately. I imagine so. Among many other ailments related to the mind for the teacher. Yeah. You know. Um, how's the week been for you? It feels pretty hectic. I, I feel like... Uh, I think s- certain days there are more crisis with students than other days. Yeah. And I don't know what it is, but I feel like at the end of the year, there just seems to be more heightened and with certain students. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like the seniors that don't really want to leave, um, even though, because you know how, you know how it is in continuation schools and alternative education schools, they, they let the students graduate early if they, you know, reach the, the credits they need. So we had yeah, students sure. that finished in December. Like we had a few that finished last month. And, you know, we had a few that we had two today, but they, they just didn't want to leave. So they were just kind of lounging around in the classroom. Uh, and, and I don't know if it's actually a good idea. I, I still kind of think about it. Like, is it a really good idea to like have them leave our school or should we wait until the actual graduation day? like, you know, the traditional schools. But that's something I noticed with uh, continuation high schools and alternative education school is they can't finish earlier if they get all the credits in, which most of them have been able to do. But at the same time, they feel attached and connected to like the school, the teachers and some the friends that they made that they don't want to leave. Well, how does your, how do you have graduation ceremonies and when do they occur? They occur at the, uh, I think it's like the last week of school. One of the days of the last week of the school. They, they happen at the, like the stadium or auditorium based on like what's available. Okay. And, and it was so like that. Once a year. Yeah, it's once a, once a year. Um, I've worked in schools where they do it twice a year, where they have one in December and one in June. But for this yeah. school I'm working at, it's just in June. Even if you finish in December, November, you're going to graduate and walk in June. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. In Watts and in Pico Union, we had it twice a year, once in the fall, once in the spring, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, I think it's nice that the students get to hang around the school i i mean i what's funny is that in a continuation or an alternative ed institution the students actually want to stay right but in other sort of comprehensive schools they want to get the fuck out of there as as fast as possible yeah unless you're really involved in like band or sports um i do see those students staying like they want to stay there like if they're like part of a club that they've been part of for four years but yeah uh, yeah, I, i see what you mean and i it's, it's not like the ones who graduated, they're not allowed to stick around at our school. So, so you know, the, those two students that just finished today, they, they're not, I mean, it's not really common for them to come back because they don't really have the reason to. It's, they're done with all the classes. So they, they're not allowed to be on the campus? You know, I don't know what the policy is <laughs> because I have seen like one student come back, but it was only for like a day. Um, but I know typically in other schools I worked at, it's not really common for them to come back once they finish, even if they wanted to. So I, I think it's kind of, I don't, I don't really know what the, the ed code say, says about that, you know, like once they finish. So I guess they would have to sign in as a visitor, I guess, because they're technically not a student yeah. anymore. But right. yeah, I, I don't know if students really make that 
effort once to, once they know that they're done. We have a soccer without borders organization with our schools. So even after they graduate, they tend to be affiliated with the school off and on. And we see them on campus all the time, okay. which is nice. Yeah, we have a pretty open, open campus policy. Do most students actually come back and they just kind of stick around? I don't know about most, but a lot do. A lot do, definitely. They're, they're either working for the school somehow. We offer them different employment opportunities. Um, they do the soccer. Um, they might do other things, like maybe the basketball program. But most of these are students that are not going off to university. Yeah, I, I've worked in schools where, um, where I visited them like a couple years later, and, and I saw some of my former students as campus aides. Uh-huh. So that's pretty interesting. And they're taking it really seriously, too, which I thought it was funny. You know, they're just like, you know, kind of yelling and get to, getting the students into, into class or making sure like there's not it's not crowded at the exit. And uh-huh. yeah, and I don't remember like yeah, and, I, and some of the students uh, I remember back then, they, they were kind of the, the rebellious students. <laughs> but now they're in a position where they're taking the job seriously. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, is anybody else joining us tonight or? I think it might just be us because I haven't, I didn't get a response and because I know originally we we're going to do it last week, but um, I forgot yeah. to mention we had one this week. All right. Um, what do you want to, what do you want to address today? Um, I had a few topics in mind. Um, so I've been working with the uh, students who you know, who get caught with like drug use on campus. And so they have to take my mm-hmm. like drug education and recovery course, or sometimes I do counseling. And mm. yeah, and it's kind of a common thing where teenagers use drugs at an early age. I feel like most of them start in middle school, especially the ones I work with. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, just kind of maybe on the topic of the drug use and teenagers and, you know, mm. you're, our thoughts on it and experience with our students uh, for sure or how the schools how do the schools view drug use obviously like i don't mm-hmm. see any schools that allow drug use on campus but you know i'd be kind of interested to hear like how schools view drug use in general when it happens outside because it's not it's kind of like an open secret where with certain schools like everybody knows like 90 percent of the population is like smoking weed you know, uh, yeah. or drink alcohol, but I feel like certain teachers or certain staff are not comfortable talking about it, and they just kind of pretend that it doesn't exist. Yeah, I don't know how your school like handles like drug and alcohol issues. Um, well, they they purport that restorative justice is the best practice, and they hold circles and you know remove the student from class or the campus to get them into some kind of a, we have a a wellness center on our campus that takes care of sort of the SEL needs. Um, So there's that aspect of it, but you know, people come high, we know that that's happening. Um, We have a referral system. Uh, We have had some students come and drink on campus, drink during school and get very rowdy and get into fights. So obviously, you know, we don't condone that or, you know, support that kind of behavior. But, um, you know, it's a newcomer school. Most of the students are, I think, 80% are, you know, brown students. So there's a certain kind of sensitivity that goes with that in terms of where they're coming from. Um but I'm curious to know, what about you? What, what's the, what's the way they handle it at your school? I mean, there's like a baby detector in the restroom and our school is kind of small. There's only one restroom. So whenever it goes mm-hmm. off, like the ones who were suspected to be in the area, they talk to the Dean and, you know, the Dean will kind of talk to them and kind of have them like take out their pockets and backpack. Uh, and if they find anything like, you know, sometimes, most of the time, like, there's at least one person that has something, even if it, if it's unrelated to the vape use, um, then, you know, they have a conversation about it, and they get put into my drug 
counseling group, which, you know, I run, I used to run it more consistently, but I just feel like they're just, I just kind of do it whenever I can. But the district has like a certain curriculum that we use. Um, I don't use it exactly how it is. It's just kind of, I, I try to do it in a way where I'm getting more information from the students. So it's more like a group counseling process. Understanding like where, you know, why they're doing it, how they got into it, uh, how they feel, uh, coming up with different coping strategies. And we just watch like different videos and talk about it. And is, what is the purpose of the program? Uh, I think it's for them to just uh, ed be educated about the, the drug use and its impact. But mm -hmm. I think for me, it's not necessarily for them to quit. I think it's just for them to receive the information. Hmm. I see. And what I, kind of effects have it, has it had? I don't, it's kind of hard to say. I, cause some students do like end up still getting caught like after a couple of months later with the drug yeah. use. Uh, but that's not the majority. I'll say that's like the minimal. Um, I feel like most of them are able to keep like the drug use outside of school. Um, but I feel like they're pretty, for the most part, majority of the students have been pretty open in the group or with me about like their, their use, like how much they do it. Um, some of them do want to stop and they have acknowledged that. So I, yeah, I, I think it's pretty interesting. Cause I, always, even though I, I run the group for the students that got caught, uh, there are also students that are there cause they want to be there. So they they come on their voluntary will, cause I, I talked to them about it. Uh, like during like one-on-one -on -one sessions uh, so i think the ones that voluntarily come i feel like have uh, more of an impact and even the students i've had uh in the like last semester the ones that finished it they they do yeah they do enjoy it and uh, they want to be able to like talk to the the rest of the group uh, especially like the younger students yeah but yeah, in terms of like, you know, success rate, it's not like a hundred percent and I, I don't expect it to be, but I think it's just good to, for them to have a space to talk about, you know, their use openly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, are any of the teachers involved and to what extent are they involved in those conversations? Um, I think it's informal. They're not like part of the, the process in the group. Uh, I've had some like campus A's and TA's be part of it but it just kind of happened because they happened to be there. And I feel like that's, that was pretty productive um, where, you know, some, one of the campus aid had like a history of uh, like use of drugs and meth and just pretty open with the students and you know, the students were pretty surprised about it. But I, I do feel like, um, yeah, with certain staff that are especially more open and more connected with the students, the students do feel like, you know, they're being heard and their experiences are being validated. But with the teachers, it's, it's hard to say. I think some teachers like will tell me about it, but I don't know how much they talk to about it with students. But you know, I'm still learning. It's kind of like an ongoing process. And luckily I, I feel like there's a lot of flexibility in it. So there's, if there's things that I feel like it's not working, I can change it. And if there are things that I feel like it is working, I'll just keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, even like I was, not just this school, but even outside of the, uh, even the previous schools I worked at, um, I feel like it's always been an issue. When you say drug use, you're, you're, are you mostly talking about weed? It's weed, but there are some students that are addicted to pills too. Mm. And stimulants. But yeah. it's majority is weed and vape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I'm not too, you know, if it's a kid coming to class, hi, I'm not really on them. I, I do tell them, like, please don't. I mean, if you're going to come to class, hi, at least do yourself the favor of putting in some eye drops, cover up the smell for God's sakes. Yeah. And, you know, I, I tell them straight up, like, I don't have a problem with it necessarily. Because if you're here to learn and it helps you learn, and did fine i'm not going to kick you out but if it's disruptive for whatever reason obviously there's a there's an issue going on there and then if it keeps happening right and then they're just not 
sober in class, that's also an issue. Um, but yeah, I think uh, each kind of substance is different and ought to be dealt with in different ways. Um, but weed, I don't really think it's an issue. Alcohol is a little different, I think. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's a different kind of substance. Like it, if you're, you're bringing alcohol to school and mm-hmm. getting drunk, something's going on. Is it mostly a uh, weed that's an issue for your school? Because that's kind of it is for me. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like that's kind yeah. of typical. Weed, tobacco. Um, the alcohol is pretty rare, but when it yeah. does happen, it's, you know, it's salient. It's, it's disruptive. So it gets a lot of, uh, it gets a lot of uh, attention. I mean, what I found interesting is, uh, I mean, I have a friend that I went to high school with and, you know, our high school had like weed issues too, like in the restrooms, like people would smoke mm-hmm. in the restrooms and, you know, the school was pretty big. And then he got transferred to like a different school because uh, he was living with his sister, like in a more like middle-class, maybe upper middle-class community. And he mm-hmm. was surprised, like when he went there, like there were actually more drugs <laughs> in that community. So there was like hardcore stuff like cocaine, like uh, pills, like, you know, I don't remember exactly what kind of pills he was saying, but I'm assuming it's like Xanax or Adderall or something. So they had more access to different types of drugs in that community, which was more like, you know, a bit more well off. And then, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of interesting because there's an assumption that, you know, drug use is only happening in like the working class schools or inner city schools, but the reality is like it's, it's happening in every school. And I think the type of drugs is also different because, you know, the wealthier the area, more access you have maybe from your parents or, or like they just happen to be more on medication because, you know, they have a psychiatrist. So. Yeah. Also drugs differ depending on economic status too. Right. So I, I think it's just the stereotype of the black or the brown kid smoking weed that gets that airplay, but yeah, if you go to affluent communities, those folks are on very different kinds of, you know, substances. Still, nevertheless, drugs, but very different. Yeah, which is kind of interesting because I think it means that the rich are a little bit more fucked up in the head, I think. Like, I think maybe poor people have trauma based on the poverty that they live in, and they have, you know, maybe weed to cope with that. But I think the the rich are, are in a different kind of spin cycle. You know, those folks are on some heavy heavy substances yeah it's it's different for sure yeah Yeah. a lot of cocaine (laughs) yeah yeah i don't even a lot of cocaine what other types of things they do um a lot of pills a lot of pills um molly right um mdma soma things like that yeah synthetic drugs ecstasy lots of the ecstasy being dropped yeah yeah, yeah actually ecstasy was kind of big in my high school too especially with the asian ravers <laughs> the raving scene oh yeah 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 it's and i'm surprised too i i i've encountered some students that used acid like when they were in middle school which i feel like just would mess up your brain has a tendency to do that absolutely yeah absolutely um i think our drug laws are also designed within a christian context right and so there's a lot of hyper hyper reactionary forces against whatever these are Um, if we were to just kind of drop that unnecessary labeling of different drugs as various categories like weed is you know marijuana is scheduled to be this in the same category as like heroin and cocaine you know it's like ridiculous yeah that's true and and it's 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 interesting too because most at least the students that i talk to that have well have mentioned like they have they feel like they're addicted to like weed like they also like their parents also use it to like recreationally or casually sure right yeah i think that's what, all I... what happened oh go ahead no, no go, go ahead. ahead i was gonna i was just gonna ask if, if there were any topics you wanted to discuss but i don't know if you wanted to keep continuing with this one um no i'm, I'm pretty open to anything but uh, i was just curious to know what happens with the 
the narcotics if they're confiscated at your school? It's uh, a good question. You know what? I'm not sure. I think they just get stored somewhere, but I don't know where that goes. I bet you somebody's smoking it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At, at the old high school I used to work at, that, that was kind of a joke. You know, the, the principal or the admins would be smoking it. Oh, I'm certain. I'm certain of it. Oh, yeah. Yep. They get some good stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, gosh, what is what is on my mind? I I think overall there's just a lot of um, apathy and ennui among a lot of teachers I know. They're kind of just tired this year. They don't really feel the rhythm or the motivation. Um, so I think that's it's been on my mind. I don't know if there's a particular issue that is uh, springing forth. That's that's kind of common though towards the end of the year. And what for, I know, I know for you, you only got what like a few more weeks left because you guys end in May. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for us, we got like I think six or seven more weeks just because of we ended June. I guess I'm curious to know your thought. You're, you've been in alt-ed schools. Um, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on the, you know, what is, what is the faculty, what is the faculty professing to these students? And I guess what I mean by that is, obviously there's the content that you're teaching. Um, and that's all, that's all good. And there's also the socio-emotional aspect of offering them different perspectives on their mental health. Obviously, that is also good. Um, but what is the other thing that is the voice of the institution that's, that's trying to get into the ears of the, the youth, right? Like, I suppose it's connected to the mission statement of the institution, but I think that it's also filtered through the, the voice of the teacher, right? In terms of what they're teaching. In the alt-ed schools, it seems as though graduation is the, the end game, that the high school diploma is, you know, is the commodity that you should be striving for. Um, as well as, you know, like, I'm sure there's like a certification for different things, career technical education, obviously, but I wonder if there's uh, something else that is missing from that conversation because students are generally poorer and have, you know, problems associated with poverty. Are you talking like more about the, like being critical of society, like the, you know, the social justice education? No, I mean, I guess that's some of it, right? But yeah. I, what else, what else besides that, right? Because uh, you and I going through UCLA, we were always taught education should be about social justice, right? Education for social justice. But then, yeah. and then what? Yeah, but even that social justice thing is very broad too. I felt like each person had a different like uh, perspective and opinion about it. Like I remember talking to a math teacher in the UCLA, you know, TP. They had a completely different perspective than like a history teacher because the math teacher's perspective of a social justice teacher, at least that guy was talking about like, giving like uh, equitable and equal resources uh, in the math classroom. So it was just kind of confined within the classroom itself to be able to yeah. have them understand the numbers so that they can kind of advance in their careers. And it was tied to, you know, their, their jobs and careers and what they can do like after high school. Yeah. I guess one of the points that I was getting at is Every doctoral dissertation or every professional development, um, if you have a school that's like doing it right with, you know, poorer classes, basically, um, they obviously they talk about equity, the, the doctrine of equity is everywhere. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, though, if all of the ideas of social justice, education for social justice, all the things for equity are slightly naive. And what I mean by that is if you are accepting the premise that this institution is going to do something for these students, 
maybe that is bordering and asymptoting on that like naive principle that even if you give all the knowledge that you should get in the A through Gs, for example, and I'm just keeping the context of high school, let's just assume that you give a poor brown child, right? Uh, all of the A through G knowledge you need in order to be successful for the university. Let's just pretend they get all of that. Well, so what? It assumes that just because you have the content knowledge and the skills that you would be able to jump into the next level in society, right? But I, I think that there is something else, obviously not just the economics, but something within the family system that's going to stop that child and hinder that person from moving on. And I think that whatever that mechanism is, whatever that variable is, is probably tied to drug use as well. Right. So that person may go off to a Stanford or, you know, Princeton, but then they'll start using drugs mm -hmm. and the same issues that were hindering them previously continue to haunt them at the bachelor's level. And that's why so many of these students drop out. The attrition rate is unbelievable. Yeah, that's true. So I, I guess my question is, it does concern your unique perspective as both a counselor and an educator. Um, what is the, what is that message? Ideally, for example, like if you were to run your own school, what should that message be versus what the message that they're getting right now, which is you must do school, right? You have to do this in order to get this. And then when you're done, then we're like, okay, well, good luck. And if that's the case, then that's not really education for social justice. That's some other thing. Yeah, other thing? I don't. I don't really know. I mean, I felt like I was asked this question a few months ago too about you know, if I was running my school, how would I run it? And I don't. I don't even know how to answer that anymore. <laughs> so I feel like um, I think I've had like different ideas about you know just having different types of support like social emotionally, uh, like access to healthcare, um, just kind of being supportive with the family. Uh, but I, I just feel like the problem is not necessarily like within the school itself, but just the greater larger society of like, you know, increasing in like rent prices, uh, people not having healthcare, um, just poverty, like just history of trauma, and racism, uh, I just, I just feel like there's just too much outside factors that makes it really difficult for the school to be like effective in a sense. Well, see, I think this is where it gets uh, to a point of, of contention for me, which is that if you look at most schools and the ways that they function right now for poor students, okay, just for poor and marginalized youth, all of the energy and systems and curricula at work in order to provide the equity formula, the equity antidote to succeed in society, it seems quite narrow. And if we were to sp spend the energy, it, it feels as though we could actually put together a possible plan for their life that they are constructing, but with our help like an actual plan. So in the beginning, say starting in the ninth grade, you get a medical and psychiatric and academic evaluation. Then based on those factors, you design a program that is individualized for a set of students that meet certain criteria. And then you realize that, okay, so you need this kind of math, you need this kind of counseling, you probably need these kinds of after-school activities and these kinds of literature uh, topics. And together with the support, you can then, by the time you're a senior, that you're 12th grade, make an informed decision about the trajectory of your life. I believe that that's not too much to ask for. We have the resources we have the motivation, but it seems that the motivation is, is warped 
into a sort of callous, dare I say, neoliberal supporting meritocracy doctrinal system where we just take for granted that the A through G is and should be the one that is followed. And you've got to get the diploma based on that. Now that's a state issue too. I understand that these are national issues as well, but say for example, at our school, there's nothing stopping the academic counselor from working with the administration and saying like, Hey, look, just get these teachers to teach whatever the students need. And then we will code it however you want. So why can't we just code classes? Right. Aren't there, but aren't there limits in what the teachers can teach? Because it's not like every teacher is able to teach like the content that the student would want. Well, in an alternative school, you have that freedom. Well, you don't have to have the credential. To a certain extent, because I don't think the teachers may be qualified to teach it, meaning like they may not have the knowledge. Like, for example, if the kid wanted to do auto tech, if there was no teacher that had the knowledge to do that or, or the resources, even like a car or like a space. Uh, so I feel like it's well, yeah, that's yeah, but I, I get what you're saying. I, I think there's even though the the planning aspect, it sounds like for for what you're saying is like an individualized aspect for each student, like the planning process, where they get evaluated or and they choose what they want to learn, and uh, you know the counselors guide them, the teachers teach. But I think there's limited courses on what teachers can teach based on their knowledge and experience. Well, the reason that auto tech wouldn't be provided in a high school though is because that's a career technical certificate we're still a high school what i'm saying is that you take what is required in the political economy in order to be a self-sustaining adult and then you take the resources within the school and you match them against the student needs not every individual in terms of their unique desires and opinions but groups of students who have similar enough life trajectories and the institution therefore can provide nothing outside of the realm of like reading and writing and math. I mean, all that is still there, right? But you have more creative space in order to democratize that. So I, I wonder about what is sort of imagining schools, so reimagining are you, them. Are you, are you talking about like a, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. So like if, if there's a group of students that want to go in the medical field, it's kind of like a general broad, like medical stuff that they're learning about. Or, Absolutely. For okay. example, if people, yeah, if people want to go into the medical field, you still need biology, like biological knowledge. You still need chemistry, right? So, well, we should teach those things in the manner in which the students say like they would like to learn it. Yeah. Right. Uh, same thing with mathematics, mm -hmm. right? You figure out, okay, well, what are these needs? Well, if they, if a certain percentage of people just want to do like plumbing, well, you need algebra one for that. So let's really crunch in some algebra one and get the student needs met. I mean, the assumption of course, is that there's enough faculty to make this happen. But again, I'm like imagining. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, it, this also sounds like different academies. Like, I mean, I know it's not exactly the same, but like the small school academies, like, you know, have you have the engineering, like within one school, there's like four different academies. Like I've seen one where yeah. it's like health and there's one for tech and, you know, engineering. There's one for like uh, theater and humanities and, you know, and it just kind of sounds like that to me where they're placed in a school, but I don't know like if the students have an option, <laughs> like, you know, once they get into eighth grade to ninth grade to choose the school or if they're just kind of randomly assigned. But to me, that's what it kind of sounds like, which I know it kind of, I've seen it in different schools and I don't know how effective they are in terms of like mm -hmm. getting those students into like the medical field, especially in the medical programs. But I think there is a bit more of a focus, kind of like what you're saying, um, you know, biology and chemistry, and maybe they're getting like actual, like expert from the medical field to come in and, you know, like, provide some like presentations. Um, so I, I have seen those models, but they're not very common. Um, yeah, I imagine they're not very common at all. Um, yeah, but so that's, that's on my mind. It would be interesting yeah. to be able to see something like that actually happen um, because that is really the only way that you're gonna get, a, if you get a ninth grader, incoming ninth grader, 
then you actually want to have them succeed in this life somehow, realistically. I mean, yeah, I think that the traditional imposition of the A through G and alternative education is very limiting for poor people. And it's, I almost think that it's probably by design that it was constrained like that. So you keep them poor. So it, it's hard for me to tell. Yeah. And I know the A through G has been kind of like a graduation requirement for certain districts in California, but I know yeah. that's like a recent thing too. And it, it, it does make me wonder for those schools that I mentioned where they're divided into different academies of, based on like different fields. Like, I, I wonder how yeah. they do the A through G requirements. I'm sure like they figure out a way to kind of like you said, like the counselors code it in a different way. So that it just fulfills the right. requirement. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, that'd be kind of interesting, actually. Yeah, I think the coding aspect is, is quite, because it's actually quite arbitrary. It's so arbitrary what people earn credits for and what grades they earn these credits for, you know? Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, this, I don't know how legal this would be, but if there was a doctrine of the school by saying like, we're going to give everybody A's, right? Like just everybody gets an A. Now you could, you have to come to school, obviously, but like if you're in school for this percentage of the time, then everybody gets an A. Then from there, you remove the, you remove a variable that actually causes more problems than you need it to. And then you can engineer the kind of education that will really propel these students into lots of bachelor's programs, right? Which is probably what we need. Yeah. But when I look at, so our students are immigrants who are not uppity. Like basically, right? They're like immigrants, they're obedient, and a huge percentage of them will do what you want them to do. So at least in Oakland, and I, I'm sure in Los Angeles as well, the newcomer, this is what they call them, the newcomer is the ideal student population to teach because it's not that hard work because actually you're not really teaching content and they're very docile and we already know they're going to be poor. So yeah. what we do, you know, we just create a diploma mill. Yeah. And the parents don't really complain as much. That's right. Parents have no voice. So you, it is almost impossible to get academic, real academic rigor into a program like that. Mm. And I have been trying to think about ways in which to do this, but at every point that you try to do that, which is to incorporate just a little bit more of an intellectual feel where you give them work that is aligned to their dignity and self-respect, you get a lot of pushback, but not because it's wrong, because people say that there is no need for it. And I, I just don't know how to wrap my head around that. You're saying you're getting pushback from the uh, administration, not necessarily the students, right? Uh, not the students, but the administration and the other teachers. Oh, okay. But it's not the pushback that I think you and I might imagine. It's mm -hmm. like, um, they believe that the students fundamentally can't do difficult work. Oh, I see. Right. And because they don't speak English very well, it's even easier to make that assumption. Yeah. Right. It's like having a lower expectations of them. So, yeah, I, I was, I was wondering how you can help me get my head around that. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like for those things, uh, like majority of the people have to be on board with it, especially the ones that are like running the school, unfortunately. Yeah. And sometimes I, I don't know what it is, but I always kind of feel like administrators are very like out of touch with the students for whatever reason, for the most part. Yeah, definitely. They're not yeah. like, they don't seem to be attuned to like the students' lives or their needs. Well, they hold different levels of power, right? So yeah. they're far, they're further removed from the peasant class. They don't associate with peasants. Yeah. Right. They're the lords. 
So yeah, it's, it's real hard. It's really, really hard. Yeah. And it, actually I think yeah. it ties. Yeah. And uh, I was going to say like it, cause it's no surprise. Like I feel like the ones that are, are the most attuned to the students needs or like the lives are the campus aides. That's right. That's right. They have the most before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then you think about, you have to ask the question, well, why is that? Right. Well, it's because they are the poorest. <laughs> the campus aides don't make money, right? They don't have that pull in society yet. So they are right there with the, with the peasants. And then after them, obviously are the, the teachers. Yeah. Right. You know, the closest sort of TAs. Yeah. The teaching class. But what do you do with an entire culture of people uh, who believe that what they're doing is correct and it is helping them? But from a very different perspective, it is not. So how do you, as a, as a, as a one, as one person in this equation, what do you do if you want to realize true social justice, yeah. which is essentially to up that rigor? I mean, I feel like there's different ways to do it. Maybe like you just do it anyway, even if you're getting the pushback and just kind of keep it confined within the classroom or try to organize with other teachers or, you know, campus A's or TA's, the ones that kind of believe your cause. There's mm -hmm. a lot of power mm -hmm. and, and effort in organizing. Yeah, I mean, those are the things I can think of right now. The organization effort. Yeah, because you know how, like, I'm sure your school has a union, right? Like, it's kind of like yeah. union organizing, um, but in a sense, that's more specific, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that takes time, though. It's not easy. And then, with especially yeah. with, like, high teacher turnover rates and, and, like, people leaving schools, that makes it really difficult. And it, it also makes me wonder if, you know, maybe it's a conspiracy, but maybe it's the reality. It is the reality. And like the reason why, you know, admins push away teachers or, or unintentionally like let teachers go or, you know, have them go to different schools is to prevent them from organizing things like this. Sure. Which I think, you know, it harks back to this question of the conflict that we have after UCLA, which is that if, if I go back in time to the, to the firing that I experienced in Los Angeles, every turn of the way was an issue of my getting in the way of the teaching they wanted me to do. Now, a fundamental aspect of it was we have the way, we're a charter school, got lots of money, and we're going to do it this way. And I told them that way is fucking stupid yeah i have my uh, i have my own way and then i showed them my own way and they really didn't like that mm -hmm. but if it is true that what they're truly after is student justice well then if i show them a better way they should be scientists about it and go you know what let's do that right if they're business-minded if they're like that so i wonder what is that thing that happens to the mind when you become an administrator. Obviously it's a numbers game, but like something else happens where you buy a different narrative about what these students purposes in this society. Yeah, I would love to have on this program at one point, Takashi, anybody who's an admin. Yeah. I want to talk to like principals and vice principals because you and I, no offense to you, man, but this is like an echo chamber. Yeah, I want true. to figure out a way to talk to people that are in the charter world, who have charter money on them, who have that charter sweat. I want to talk to those motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. I've been trying to get a few people that are have been admins. I don't know about being a principal, but I think that'd be an interesting conversation to have. Um, right. I'm curious, like, have you ever met an admin that, like, you feel like you could trust or that kind of aligns with your views? Yes. Yeah. Uh, to a certain extent. So yeah, yeah. my very good friend, Dave, David, uh, he was a friend before he became an admin. So he eventually became my boss. I see. Right. But he, I trusted, even as a white man, 
even as a white man with lots of privilege, like extreme amounts of privilege, like I did trust him because he had the students in mind, first and foremost, like he really did. So that's about it. Like, I don't know any other admin. Yeah. But the thing even with David is that I don't know if he was on that game where he was like, I want to, I want to accelerate this program. I want to add the college track, a true college track. Mm -hmm. For some reason that still, at least for the immigrant population, it doesn't fly, you know, funding for that kind of stuff. They love to fund the other thing though, right? If yeah. you can turn them into like, you know, these people have learning disabilities or reading uh, gaps. Oh, we'll, t we'll give you money for that, but we won't give you money for the other thing. Yeah. I mean, it makes me wonder too, because I wonder if, I mean, I'm sure they do, but if admins also have to, because they're held accountable by like the superintendent or whoever's above them. So there's like certain things that they have to kind of do for the school, even though they may not fully agree with it. I don't know. It just kind of makes me wonder how much of that kind of plays a role, especially for admins that maybe once had very clear values and goals that were centered on the students. That's right. It's eroded over time, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good point. And I think it makes sense, right? Like after, after the 1960s, when the United States, Japan, and Europe realized what was happening in the United States, where slaves were like starting to fight for their rights and won them, and then women were like liberated or they were getting in that process of truly getting liberated, the institutions got real scared, you know, and they had to buckle down on schools. So I'm curious to know that within that buckling down in the 70s, right, early 70s under Nixon, like what, what did those schools look like and which schools got away with still like truly educating poor people? Mm -hmm. And did that, could that even exist? Yeah. It makes me wonder yeah, I too. I just don't know. If, if, if admins are even necessary in schools, because I heard of schools where teachers kind of run the show. Yeah. I think it's completely possible. Yeah. I know that, I forget exactly what year it was, like in the 2000s. I want to say it was Crenshaw or Dorsey. They were, the teachers were pretty much running the school for a few years until it got taken over. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they were able to do like different community projects with the students and work with the, the parents. And, and yeah, a lot of students praised it during that time, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to get an admin, an admin here too. Right. Yeah, because you know, well, you can't argue with an admin on on a school campus because that's their territory. Yeah. But if you could bring him into a neutral territory where it's like, let's really see what kinds of ideas you're holding there. Yeah. And push him on that. I would love to do that. Yeah. There are actually a few people I know that, uh, you know, started off teaching uh, and now have become admins. Maybe I could try to ask them to. Even in our program, I think, I know at least one that has become an admin now. Uh, Alejandro was in the program at UCLA, right? Uh, for the uh, admin program? I think so, yeah. I think she was, but she never, I don't think she ever ended up becoming an admin. She just has that credential. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what her experience was because I know um, one of my supervisor who is, who's, who's been teaching and then who was like an academic counselor for a very long time. He told me he didn't really like the, the people in the, <laughs> the admin credential program. Oh yeah, those people are fucking the worst. Like, have yeah. you ever if you're gone to a meeting of people who are gonna become admin? They smell the way like 
they smell the way Nancy Pelosi's face makes you feel when you look at it for a long time. You know, it's just that stank of like banking, bullshitting, you know, centrist fucking like either a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah, neoliberal stuff. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it's just fucking disgusting. Yeah, and I don't think he really praised the program either, the, the credential program. He just, I think he, I think part of the reason why he got it, and he was never an admin either, because it, 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 I, I think for him, it gave him like more of a voice uh, to kind of do things in the district. And yeah, this guy true. I'm talking about is actually uh, Steve Zimmer. He ran for uh, LAUSD. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a few years. Yeah. He, he, I, yeah. Uh, and a lot of stuff I agree with. I mean, there's certain things, you know, I don't, I don't agree with, but I feel like for the most part, he definitely was really centered on students. And even some of the former students who are, you know, people my age uh, mentioned, like they really respected him when, you know, he was a counselor for them when, when they were in high school. So. Actually, you know, I take back something I said earlier, uh, George Hernandez, who was the admin at, um, uh, what was that school? The Watt School? Not the Watt School. He started out at Pico Union Tech. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, that guy had some other different business going on as an admin. Really cool guy. Yeah. He, one time, it was like my second day there. And like on somewhere on my first day, one of the girls in my advisory took a lock, like a, like a, school locker lock and bash the back of the head of this other girl and so bad like oh my god i mean I think it I, was really really awful yeah i think i remember you told me about this oh god and so on the second day this kid this mexican kid started calling me chino right and chino this and chino that so i started to talk back to this kid and then we got into it and it was great because he was getting really mad um and so george saw this happening and the kid stormed out, like fucking cursing me out, right? Um, so George was like, so how do you want to handle that? Like in the middle of my class, he's like in the back. And he's like watching. He asks me, like, how do you want to handle that? And I said, we should have a circle with him. And um, I should lead it. And he said, make it happen after school. So I come in after school. And this is my boss after like a day, right? <laughs> so he's like and i'm in his office and this guy's like a baller he's like this mexican he's like this rich mexican guy and he has this nice big leather seat and he gets up out of it and he looks at me and he goes sit down so i like sit down at his desk and then he brings in the kid it's like and then he tells the kid like he's like sit your fucking ass down right now right and the kid sits down and i'm like oh god and then George sits up to the side and he tells me, go ahead. <laughs> so, um, so I start railing on this kid, just fucking screaming at this kid. And then he starts screaming at me and George is holding a referee. Right. And then by the end of it, he's crying. I'm crying. George is basically crying. And he's becomes one of my best students. And after that meeting, I realized that this dude is playing a, he's coaching in a completely different way mm. and it works. And he would spend, he would get all this money. He would give it to the teachers and then he'd be like, go out and party. And then he'd give us more money and be like, take the students to Beverly Hills, show them how poor they are. And we're like, okay. So he did. So this dude had a different mind, mindset, and I was like, I was so lucky to have worked with him. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So it's like even that process of uh, like you with that student that was calling you, you know, like yeah, I felt like you know George just kind of let you trusted you enough to just kind of deal with it, you know. That's right. I feel like in a typical school nowadays, they will call it like a restorative practice and all that, and then you know, facilitator will just kind of guide it and make sure it's one person yep you know speak at a time and all that which you know I, I think there's structure to it but i think it's just different for each person it's just based on context it's not going to work for everybody that's right that's right 
so people talk about restorative circles, right? Why do you think, what is, what is your knowledge of why restorative circles are the best practice right now? Why, what is the reason that it's given? I, I mean, I personally don't agree that it's the best practice, but, but I think based on the reason, it's just, um, uh, just kind of being able to like both sides of the party, um, affected can have like their say, like what, what they went through, how they feel. And from there, they get to hear each other out. I think that's the bit, the main purpose of it. And then from there, just coming yeah. up with solution. But, I was told, yeah. and I, and I think I learned that a circle is as successful as the facilitator. Mm. And if you have a successful circle, you will get people into conflict. And then you will resolve that conflict while they are in the throes of it. And the entire community is watching that happen. That's, that's the circle, right? You got to get people into conflict, but yeah. people are doing the opposite of that. They are, they are manicuring and they are uh, designing conversations, kind of like therapy, where actually you are getting them away from conflict and keeping them safe. Where, so I have a different, I, I tend to think that actually you have to create the trauma in order to get people to learn their way out of it. If it's, if it's significant enough, I think you got to pe take people there. And I think a lot of that research on psychedelics on, with psychedelic mushrooms is having extreme effects like all over Europe for mental health issues. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I think so there's something there. Yeah. That's, that's a really good uh, point. Um, Cause you know, even in uh, like therapy too, it's like people don't change because of logic because people change when they're right. emotionally compelled to do so that's right so i think the what you're talking about with the you know what you're describing restorative justice that's it's not about logic you know it's you're not lecturing you're not just talking it's there's like an emotional component where your guys are crying and getting angry at each other and that's, that's part right. of the necessary that's uh, right process and that's right it kind of kind of just sounds like uh, to me. It sounds like a couples counseling because <laughs> I, I, I. That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I I facilitated like couple, you know done couples therapy and it is there's never like there's always like sessions where they're always constantly fighting and yelling. I'm just kind of like okay whatever. Yeah. But let them do you guys do you and then like a couple minutes right. later they pull down and it's kind of like a I don't know like up and down process. Uh, even with, I actually, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, because sometimes I run these, uh, I don't want to call it restorative, but like when two students kind of feel like they need to talk to each other, sometimes I let them talk and I'll ask them like, oh, do you want me to step out? And if they, if, if they feel like, yeah, I think it would be nice if you stepped out. I just kind of <laughs> let them be in the classroom. And then after a couple yeah. of minutes later, they're actually, you know, pretty good about it. Um, mm -hmm. just kind of putting that trust, but I know I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> but, but right. Right. Of, absolutely. But, but, but I, I feel like they, they'll learn that way if they kind of resolve it on their own, you know, at least that's the way I see it. It's like, I don't need to be holding mm -hmm. their hand the entire time. That's right. That's right. It's so funny. There is a kid named Lesman and, you know, he's a little homie. He's trying to be a little homie and he's doing all the things. And then, I've been yelling at this kid all year, right? I'm just like fucking yelling at him. He was being disrespectful. And the vice principal and him have a really good relationship. Now, I didn't know this. So she's been in his ear and being like, okay, so what the fuck is happening with you right now? And he said that, well, I'm, all, I'm going to Mr. Daniel's class. And then she said, well, why are you going to his class? You're skipping every other class. And he goes, well, he yells at me. And she's like, but <laughs> like... She's like, but that's not good. And he goes, no, no, it is good because he gets mad at me. He like really gets mad at me. And then when he's mad, I listen. And when he, what he says is fucking true. And so she's like, oh, so it's like, and I was feeling bad about this the whole semester, right? I thought like, oh, I went too far. I shouldn't have done it like that. But this fucking kid, he was like listening the whole time.
Yeah. Oh, I think that's pretty cool. You're able to do that. Um, oh, I mean, I don't think it'll work for every student, but, but <laughs> that's true. Cause I've seen those like raging <laughs> teachers are always yelling at the students and like, no one's giving a fuck about what, what, what the teacher's saying, you know? <laughs> I, I think it works well when you do it right. Yeah. Right. Right. And with, with the right student. Exactly. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta feel them out. Like no, no, uh, yeah. no who to do that for. Cause there are some students uh-huh. you can't joke around with and they'll take it too personally. And which that's right. You know, they have their own trauma and the reason and experience yeah. to do so. Yeah. I think that's a little bit what's missing and yeah. it would be really fun to talk to admin about it. Yeah. And I think that's important. The emotional rawness because it's really authentic and it's organic. It's not like forced upon and putting a fake smile and, that's right i really do believe that it is in that heightened emotional state that logic can be clearly like penetrated into the into the mind yeah you know like for some reason when you're in those heightened states it's like and clear communication is happening you like your mind snaps into place right and you're like this is the right way and everybody agrees that this is the right way and so like I think it's also true, not just with anger, but with sadness too. Uh, I felt like uh, mm-hmm. when I, when I was started getting emotional with some of the students uh, and like cry in front of the students, they, they were really like listening right. to. So I think mm-hmm. it's just a pure like emotion that like people gravitate towards, mm-hmm. not just anger. Yeah. Just anything authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, T, I should um I should get going. Yeah, I should get going. And spent. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to do this again next week. I'm gonna try to get different folks to come in if they're available. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if there are folks you want to invite to, um, whether they're admin or not, you know. I mean, I know I guess That's interesting. Thursday at 7 p.m. is not like ideal for everybody, but mm. let me let me ask around. Yeah. If, uh, yeah. but anything, if anything, I'm just going to keep it the same schedule and then, uh, okay. If people can make it then great. If not, it's all good. So. Hey, what's this thing that Aldrich is, uh, organizing? Cause Mike Tinoco also reached out to me. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Is it the one I sent you? Yeah, or, I think or, so. Or is it the one Aldrich? I don't know if Aldrich sends it to you directly. I don't know if he has, a- um, it was like an email though. Is that about like the meetup or, or you see? Yeah. I don't know uh-huh. if he's organizing it or if it's like an official TEP thing. Cause I wasn't sure. Um, I didn't really uh-huh. ask him in detail, but I think it's just like a get together. Like a reunion, reunion maybe. I don't know if it's mm. going to happen in LA. Um, yeah. There's not too many people I still connect with from TEP, except for like you, sometimes Aldridge and Rodrigo. Cause you know, he lives pretty close to me. Yeah. I just talked to Sedhu and that's it. Is he, he's pretty and he's not teaching, right? No, but he's substituting, I think. Okay. He's like part-time in the game and it's also serving at restaurants. Okay. Yeah, maybe he should go to their, uh, the TP reunion too. <laughs> if, if he wants to. He would just get in fights with people. <laughs> I think go. there's the emotional rawness and authentic emotion. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was just too raw for people, you know. Yeah. Like people couldn't handle him. He was just he just went at you like real real hard all the time. Yeah. Man, when did we start going to grad school? 2010. Yeah, that's what we're saying. It's been 12 years. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Yeah. I still, I think I told you, I still facilitate some of the interviews. Uh, for like, the, what is it? The, 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 yeah, the process of having them coming in. Um, yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting to see. I, I feel like there's less and less people applying, but yeah. Kind of sad. It's kind of sad. Well, you know, to be honest, I, yeah. I don't know if I would go back and do it the same education again. Yeah. If I could, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I think if I were to like like teach and 
like if I were to go back in time and like, if I wanted to be a teacher, I'd probably just go to like a Cal State program because it's more affordable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, funny. It is. I, I'm not one of those people that are going to praise UCLA TP, you know, like, you know, right. Some, right. Some people do. I'm not, I don't even, uh-huh. have the, I don't even have a sweater or the flag for, it, you know, it's just, it's a school I went to and got my degree. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah can't believe i did that shit <laughs> yeah well it's uh way past due so all right Takashi, i'm gonna i'm gonna catch up with you all right see you daniel all right see you bye